Well, welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We're going to be in the first epistle of Peter. We're continuing on in the general epistles. And this is a very exciting letter of Peter to uh, believers that are scattered throughout the world. Uh, it is, to me, one of the great, especially this chapter, one of the great essays, I guess you could say it that way, essays concerning faith, suffering, and security. That's actually what I have entitled this chapter to be. Now, First Peter, of course, was written by the Apostle Peter. There's nobody that disputes that. And it's very interesting because this epistle, according to Bible scholars, they have characterized this letter as being affectionate, loving, lowly, humble. Uh, some have uh, labeled this letter a beautiful pastoral and how that uh, Peter shines through it, you know, not as the hard hitting uh, bulky fisherman, but as a real pastor, a man who has been thoroughly dealt with by the Holy Spirit. Uh, not the cowardly lion, I guess you could say that, not the cowardly person that ran when Jesus was arrested, but someone, the man who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached that tremendous message that ushered in 3,000 souls into the very beginnings uh, of the church. Uh, Peter writes as a shepherd, a shepherd who is concerned, concerned over uh, his people, uh, you consider the flock that he's speaking to. Well, this is a, an entire region of uh, of the Roman Empire that Peter is writing to. And I find it so interesting how that uh, scholars fixed the date of this epistle to be between 64 and 67 A.D. Uh, the very dates right around the time that both Peter and Paul were put to death. And many scholars think that this epistle was written right after the great fire of Rome under Emperor Nero. Of course, if you remember, if you've uh, read the history, ancient Christian history, uh, Nero, in an attempt to deflect the blame for the torching of Rome, which many accused him of because he wanted to uh, rebuild it in his own image, rebuild Rome in his own image, uh, he deflected the blame over onto the Christians and began to persecute them, martyr them, uh, just unspeakable horrors that he would inflict upon those who were uh, the members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this epistle, there is a strong message of encouragement uh, to the believers that are suffering, because what happened in Rome spread throughout the Roman Empire. And of course, you know, Christian history tells us that. And of course, all this information I've gotten from William Barclay's Daily Bible Study Series and his introduction uh, to this epistle. So uh, and one interesting note to add concerning this letter that we're about to study is that seven different times, seven different times, Peter mentions the coming of the Lord. And of course, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Bible numerology, seven is a number of perfection. It's the number of completion, seven being a perfect number. And that just testifies to me that and just enforces my faith in the scriptures that Jesus is going to return uh, one day. We don't know the day nor, nor the hour, but we are to live our lives in such a state that uh, 
we believe that he'll come within the next five minutes. Amen. Praise God. But before we begin, let's go ahead and hear from the psalmist. Notice the David says this. I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Amen. And then he then David prays this. He says, who can understand his errors? Lord, cleanse me from secret faults and keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Now that Christ is on the inside of us and faith in Christ and because we have the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what we are to do. But I love that uh, humble uh, Psalm of David. Look, always looking to God for his rescue, always looking to him as his Lord and at his Savior. That's such a tremendous lesson uh, for us today. Amen. All right. Before we begin, let's just go ahead and pray real quick. Father, we bless you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Father, for wisdom and revelation that comes from the knowledge of you. Strengthen us, Father God. Speak to us through your word, and we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, now, I've entitled this chapter, Faith, Suffering, and Security. We're going to find all three of these subjects in this first chapter. Beginning now in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, notice... Peter writes, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Mainly Gentiles, but Jews are also included. Remember that the church of the first century consisted of Jew and Gentile. And of course, if you went to a map uh, of these areas, you'll find out that this encompasses the entire uh, country of Turkey today. Amen. So uh, Christianity was alive and well in this region during the period of time that Peter wrote this letter. And then verse two, uh, this is this is really to me, this is a heavy verse. Notice elect according to the knowledge for knowledge of God, the father through sanctification of the spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. And I like this phrase, be multiplied. Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied, because it reminds me of the study of James that we just came through, where James says, he giveth more grace. And I think, I, to me, I think Peter said these words, be multiplied because of the magnitude of the suffering of the Christian church in that era. But let's go back up. Let's look at this verse <clears throat> again. Notice he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So right off the bat, Peter is talking to the church concerning the Trinity, how that all three persons of the Godhead, all of them are involved in our salvation and in our, in our redemption. And notice he begins in this verse and he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, this is what Paul says concerning this very subject in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Notice, according as he, God, hath chosen us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Did you see that? Before the foundation of it. He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him 
in love. That's God's foreknowledge. Amen. In his foreknowledge, God already knew who would come to Christ. Now, he's not forcing those whom he foreknew to be saved. He knows that they're going to come. And he knows those who are not going to come. And of course, we understand we can understand this. Uh, this the, we'll call it this this theological perspective. We'll, we'll just say that we can understand this by going through the parable of the sower. The sower sows the word. And Jesus talked about the four different conditions of the soil of men's hearts and how three of them could not and would not produce. But now the fourth soil, which was called good soil, brought forth abundance, 30 fold, 60 fold and 100 fold. Aren't you glad in view of the fact that you have come to Christ and you have surrendered to him? You're part of that fourth seed. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So now we ask the question, how do sinners become the elect of God? Well, it's through faith, of course, by grace. Are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves? It is the gift of God. But what we do not estimate is the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our not only in our salvation, but in our separation and in our sanctification. He is the one that brings us to full spiritual maturity. Amen. As a matter of fact, notice what uh, Peter writes. He says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through sanctification of the spirit unto obedience. Now, the Greek word obedience in this case is in the accusative. It's feminine singular. And the Greek word is hupakoin. And what this word means is to comply, to submit. And I'll just add this, to surrender. You see, we do ourselves a great disservice by telling people that we have committed our lives to Christ. No, we have surrendered our lives to Christ. Because at one time, at one time we were enemies. We were without God godless and we were without hope hopeless. And we fought him tooth and nail. And most of us, <laughs> amen, came to Christ kicking and screaming. I remember that night that I uh, surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and by his grace he saved me. I had both hands on the, uh, the pew in front of me. My knuckles were turning white. I didn't want to give up, but I finally just surrendered. Praise God. The spirit of God just brought me to that place of surrender. And I thank God for it. I think that is the greatest decision I have ever made in my life. Amen. The next greatest decision was marrying the woman, <laughs> my wife, the one I'm married to, been married to for almost 50 years now. Praise God. Amen. But notice in this verse, notice what Peter says through sanctification of the spirit. See, it's the Holy Spirit that separates us through faith in Christ. He separates us. He translates us from the power out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Amen. Now, that sanctification process that began the very moment we asked Christ to come into our heart and life, he carries that sanctification through. Amen. What uh, what Paul wrote to Titus how that uh, that uh, we're saved by regeneration. See, that happens in a split second, in an atomic second, quicker than that. The very moment we open our heart and and we receive Christ, Christ comes in at the very moment we're translated. Praise God. See, regeneration takes place that very moment. But now 
Paul also talks about renewing, renewing of the Holy Spirit. Well, that begins to take place the very moment that we're born again, but that also renews throughout our lifetime. We have to be renewed because we're not in the place of perfection yet. We believe in Christian perfection. We stay away from sin, but still we have these weak earth Death doomed bodies that we have to deal with and the lower nature that is part of our flesh that we have to deal with constantly every day. Like Paul said, every day I die daily. I die daily. I die to myself and I live for God. Amen. Praise God. So in God's foreknowledge. Before the worlds were ever made, God already knew it was already in God's mind who would come to Christ and who would not. Amen. But Christ died for all. How many times in the New Testament does it tell us that? And let me tell you something. You may be a hyper Calvinist and you may have been taught this, but if you have been taught this, you need to think again. Hyper Calvinists say, well, all does not mean all. You got to be kidding me. Go to any any dictionary in the world And try to find a definition. All does not mean all. All means all. Christ died for all. For God so loved the world. World there is the Greek word cosmos. And it implies all the inhabitants of the earth. He died for all. So. Really, what the scripture is saying is that the death of Christ is sufficient for all. But it is only efficient, only effectual in those that believe. Listen to what Paul in writing to the Thessalonian church says. He says, and for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive notice the subjunctive neighbor uh, nature of what Paul's speaking of, when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which lives and abides forever and which continues to perform its work in you who believe. Praise God. Amen. Well, there's a lot of people in Thessalonica that heard the message of the gospel. But now these that Paul is writing to, they accepted it. What happened to the others? Well, they didn't accept it. Amen. So God knew you before the world was ever made. He knew that you would come to Christ. Amen. Praise God. And he gave you the earnest of the of the spirit, which is a down payment. Full payment is coming at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Amen. Verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Notice as to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. What are we talking about here? We're talking about security. You've come to Christ. Christ dwells in you. He's not going to leave. Amen. He's not going to leave. The Holy Spirit is in you to do what? To bring you to perfect surrender. To cause you to reach full spiritual maturity. And that's what he's doing right now. Praise God. Notice that uh, Peter said this to an inheritance undefiled and that fadeth not away. That's speaking of eternal life. 
See, we are in the middle of God's eternal plan of the ages. And then verse five, Peter writes this, who are kept. Notice that kept by the power of God. But notice it says, notice what he says there through faith. Through faith. This is why I've entitled this chapter faith, suffering and security. Amen. Now, the preposition through there is in the genitive case, along with faith. It's also in the genitive singular case through faith, through your faith, because of faith. Notice you're kept by the power of God because of faith in Christ. And that faith delivers you unto salvation. And of course, the full salvation that Peter's talking about here is the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, you have been saved. You are being saved and you will be saved. You have been delivered. You are being delivered right now and you will be delivered at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when our salvation will be filled. Amen. Fulfilled. Full salvation. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. This corruption will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality <laughs> and will be raised just like Jesus was raised. Glory to God. Now, there's 14 different passages of Scripture in the New Testament that include this phrase through faith. Notice Acts 3:16. in his name through faith in his name hath made this man strong. Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. 3.30, and uncircumcision through faith. That's what you are. You're circumcised with the circumcision, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. Romans 3.31, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. There is a law of faith. Amen. It supersedes, amen, the law of works. Galatians 3, 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith. Galatians 3, 14, and we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith. Second Timothy 3, 15, and that from a child, speaking of Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 6.12, and through faith and patience inherit the promises. Hebrews 11.3, through faith. 11.11, through faith also Sarah herself received. 11.28, through faith Moses kept the Passover. 11.33, who through faith subdued kingdoms. 11.39, obtained a good report through faith. Notice that these 14 references of the phrase through faith is the number seven doubled. Now, what does that tell us? Well, we said the number seven uh, is the, the number that speaks to us of perfection and completion. But now the number seven here is doubled 14. That's very important. And the reason why I say that is because you need to mount guard and watch guard over your faith every day. You need to feed your faith every day. You need to feed it on the word of God. You need to feed it, you know, uh, chasing after, running after God in prayer, drawing near to him. Praise God. Continually feeding your faith upon the word. 
Get away from the things of the world. I know there's things that you, in the world that you like to do. I, there's things in the world that I like to do. But they don't take preeminence over this time spent with God in, in the word of God and in prayer. Now, if you're not reading your Bible every day, if you're not meditating and devoting yourself to the word of God every day, you're in error. You need to repent of that. That is what the Bible says about being cold hearted. No, you you make sure that you get that you rightly divide the word of God every day and you do it through the spirit. You do it in prayer, prayer and the word, prayer and the word, the word and prayer, the word and the spirit. Praise God. And that will cause development in you. A greater sensing of God's presence in you, a more tangible anointing upon your life. Praise God. Amen. So when the devil comes knocking at your door, amen, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to open up the door, but I'm going to do it in faith. And when I open that door in faith, guess what? The devil's not going to be anywhere to be seen. He is going to flee. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. Praise God. Amen. All right. Now, verses six and seven, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, once again, that the trial of your faith being much more precious. See how many times Peter mentions faith. He's, he's going to mention faith five times in first Peter, this first letter of Peter five times. Five is the number of grace. Four times is going to be in this chapter alone. Amen. So there's a message that uh, Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is speaking to us concerning. How important is your faith? Very important. Notice what uh, Peter writes here in verse seven, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it's tried by fire. Amen. You understand about how gold is purified, is purified in fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the second time Peter has mentioned the coming of the Lord. But what's so important about this verse is that your faith is what you're going to present to Christ that that day that you stand before him. Notice again, the trial of the trying of your faith, the tempering of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes. A lot of people talk about how precious gold is. Your faith is much more precious than it. Though it be tried with fire, your faith is and will be, has been, is and will be tested by the fire of adversity, by the fire of testing and trial. And God allows that for what purpose is that so that when you stand before the Lord Jesus on that day, your faith will be found to the praise and to the honor and to the glory of God at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's what you're going to stand before God. That's what you're going to give him. You have nothing else to give him. I have nothing else to give him except my faith in him that endured. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Praise God. So the ultimate purpose of the testing of your faith is to bring you to that place to where your faith is so tempered. Amen. <laughs> Praise God that it be found unto the praise and the honor and the glory of God at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
You know, I use this example. In high school, I took an elective. It was metal shop. And one of my projects was I had to make a cold chisel. And so I was given a piece of metal, round piece of metal, and I had to take one tip of that piece of metal and I had to put it in the furnace, get it white, almost white hot, red hot. I, I tell you, heat it up to maybe a thousand, two thousand degrees. And then I moved that piece uh, of metal over to the anvil and I took a, a hammer and I beat that one end till it was at a point. And then I would grind it and file it. But before I presented my chisel to the metal shop teacher, I had to take that metal and I had to dip it in water, dip it in cold water several times, dip it. And that that uh, that going from extremely hot metal to tempered metal or or I'd say uh, cooler metal tempered that it made that it made that steel harder. And so at the very end, when I presented the end of the project, when I presented the chisel to the shop teacher, he'd take that chisel, he put it on anvil, he'd beat on it. I mean, he would beat on that thing to see if it would crack. And it didn't crack. I passed, praise God. And that's what happens to our faith. I mean, it's thrown into the fire. And then, you know, it's beaten upon. <laughs> Pressures placed upon us. But we're not going to crack. Why? Because our faith has been tempered. Amen. Praise God. So just make sure that when you're going through a test or a trial, you begin to thank God. That, that's what Paul said. And writing to the Roman church, he says, but not only so, but we glory in trial. We glory in temptation. Knowing that temptation works experience, experience, faith, faith, hope and hope. Uh, maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Amen. Praise God. Experience. If God brought you through that testing, he'll bring you through the next one. Amen. And what is testing going to do? It only serves to temper our faith, to make us to the place to where we can present it to God as something that will glorify him. Amen. Now, verse eight. Whom having not seen your love and whom, though now you see him not yet believing. Notice that believing. That's the action of faith. You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. What does faith, what does, what does faith do for us? What does believing do for us? It causes us to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. And then verse 9, Peter says this, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Once again, he mentions faith. Receiving the end of your faith, which which is what the salvation of your souls, the full inheritance that God has foreordained for you and I to enjoy. Praise God. Amen. All right. Now, let's look at verses 10 through 12 of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which is in them, would signify when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. You may be in manifold testing and trial. You may be suffering right now, but I want you to know something. God is bringing you through through the power of the Holy Spirit and your faith. What's it going to come to? It's going to come to the glory that should follow. God is going to have a place of glory for you 
when you come through testing and trial victorious. Amen. Praise God. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. They are mystified at this thing called salvation and of grace. And they're watching it from way back in the days of Abraham to the present day. They're seeing God's plan unfold. I tell you what, no wonder the angels rejoice when one gets saved. All right. Now, this last section I've entitled the separation and sanctification of the believer in Christ. In other words, we're going from faith to faith. All right. Now, Peter's talked about faith. He's talked about suffering. He's talked about foreknowledge. He's talked about all of these blessings that God has for us. Now there's things in this life we're going to have to put into practice. Notice what he says. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Once again, Peter mentions the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's coming. That's what John tells us. He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Aren't you glad that when Jesus comes, you won't be here on earth? You'll be with him in heaven coming to earth. Praise God. Now, verse 14, as obedient children. Once again, we must be in obedience to Christ in order to be born again. And after we're born again, we yield to the Holy Spirit as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance. But as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of life, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. That's what God is. God is holy. And he's made us new creatures in righteousness and true holiness. So what do we do? We obey the holiness Amen. That's revealed to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we can do that because we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Verse 17. And if you call on the father who without respect to persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Or in other words, in reverence, reverencing God in our actions. Amen. Then verse 18 says, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain converse manner of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Amen. God's brought us out of that into his glorious presence. Verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Notice foreordained, foreordination is that which God has determined to do. And he will do it. And he has done it. He foreordained you to be born again, to be a child of God. And though it, it happened, praise God. Amen. Verse 21, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing then, verse 22, that you have purified your souls. We're talking about sanctification here. The work of sanctification. That's why we need to be in obedience and yield to the Holy Spirit. He will purify our souls in obeying the truth. Once again, we're talking about obedience. 
God needs our obedience for him to do what he wants to do in our heart and in our life. Amen. And obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Oh, I tell you, that's a turned on believer. Verse 20 is talking about a turned on believer, somebody that is thoroughly filled with the Holy Spirit and that is marching towards the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Somebody that's turned on to Jesus, he loves with a pure heart fervently. There's something about the compassion of God in us that stirs us. Amen. The Holy Spirit stirring us. And of course, the end result is uh, that we're walking into a greater measure of the love of God. Amen. Verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Amen. The love, the word of God, which lives and abides forever. You will live and abide forever if you have the word of God on the inside of you. Amen. For all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So here we have the contrast. What you are as a natural fallen human being, formerly a natural fallen human being, you are like the grass. You grow up, you wither and you'll, you'll perish, you'll fall away. But now that you're born again and the word of God and God himself is in you, you're going to endure forever. Wow, what a tremendous, tremendous, I mean a tremendous, tremendous message that we have in 1 Peter. Speaking of faith, speaking of suffering, but also of security. Amen. Father, we ask you to bless this word today in the heart's and in the ears of everyone within the sound of my voice. Bless them in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.